0: Okay. All right. Hello everyone. Thank you all for joining us. My name is Eva Greenthal. I'm here representing Center for Science in the Public Interest or CSPI. We are a nonprofit consumer and public health advocacy group. We work to improve people's diets, and make healthy food accessible for all, and I am thrilled to be moderating this panel on empowering food citizens with accurate information by transforming food labeling. We have four amazing panelists who will be presenting on front of package labeling, which is the idea of taking information from the nutrition facts panel simplifying and interpreting it in a way that makes it quicker and easier for the average consumer to understand, and placing it on the front of the food package where everyone will be sure to see it. As you'll hear, many other countries have already adopted front of package nutrition labels, which can be an incredibly useful tool for nutrition education. As an advocacy group, CSPI has been working to engage nutrition educators and everyday consumers to engage in advocating for the US to adopt a front of package nutrition label. So last August, CSPI filed a regulatory petition asking the US Food and Drug Administration to develop a new simplified front of package nutrition label that would become mandatory for all packaged foods and we activated our membership of nutrition advocates, or food citizens, Um, and with that, we were able to get over 8,000 comments submitted just from consumers um, and nutrition advocates to FDA in support of this petition. As you'll hear, FDA has already begun conducting research to inform its development of a front of package label, and it's looking like we are well on our way to seeing the biggest update to food labels since the Nutrition Facts label was first required 33 years ago. So without further ado, I will introduce our panelists. First, you will hear from Dr. Fabio de Silva Gomez, advisor on nutrition, physical activity, and physical activity at the Pan American Health Organization and World Health Organization. Dr. Gomez will be joining us via recording because he became a father this week. And he will provide an overview of of front-of-package labeling policies around the world. Next, we will have Dr. Gaston Ares, associate professor at Universidad de la República, joining us virtually from Uruguay. Dr. Ares will summarize the research on front-of-package labeling. And then Dr. Robin McKinnon, senior advisor for nutrition policy at the US Food and Drug Administration Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition. will provide updates on research and development of front of package labels at FDA. And finally, we will hear from Leslie Speller Henderson, who is an Associate Extension Professor at University of Missouri. And Leslie will wrap us up by talking about front of package labeling from a nutrition educator's perspective. So thank you, and now we will play a recording from Dr. Gomez.
1: Thank you very much, Eva, for the introduction. And thank you and the organizers of the conference for putting together the session which deals with the policy that is so important to achieve the transformations of the food systems that we need to make them more coherent with, with health, with the environment. Um, so I'm sorry I couldn't make uh, in person, but I'm really pleased and, and grateful to um, still be able to uh, share this, the, the efforts of countries in developing and adopting uh, front of pack nutrition labeling policies that can help uh, protecting healthy diets and and public health. And I think the most important, uh, probably the most important uh, starting point is um, to recognize that there are many front of pack labeling systems out there. And if we start to go after each of them and and, uh, look into every single system that is out there and see uh, what if what if we use this one or that one and compare all of them We're probably not gonna uh make very efficient uh, uh use of our time and, and the time of our populations so um it's very important to start having a clear understanding of what is needed what is the problem that needs to be addressed and think of what is the purpose that you need to meet and um, and for that, if we just start also developing I thinking of different purposes or trying to resolve all the problems with uh, these policy tools, probably gonna fail all of them. Uh, so we need to be very focused on what is is the need and what is the purpose. And as we see um, in in the Americas in 2019, high blood glucose, hypertension, overweight, and obese were responsible for almost half of the deaths in the region and that uh, not only means lives that we lost to those deaths but also lives uh, with quality that we lost due to premature uh, uh, mortality and also because people were ill because of these factors they couldn't go to work they couldn't uh, play they couldn't enjoy life the best way they could so in 2019 the americas lost 83 almost 83 millions of years of quality of life of life quality because of of these uh, factors and that um uh, that brings us to a very clear problem that uh, needs um uh, policy solutions uh, to to help uh solving and that brings our most of our countries to identify that uh their key their purpose and, and the policy and the purpose they are seeking with uh, front of pack labeling policies is really to help uh, the population identify products that are in excess of critical nutrients um, associated with these factors, uh, including sugars, total fats, saturated fats, trans fat, and salt, salt, sodium, because we know that these uh, factors are clearly uh, related to these uh, excessive uh, intake of these nutrients. So if we group those you know myriad of that that myriad of, of from the pack labeling systems in in what are their purposes we probably get to five different systems and starting with the first one, we have the GDA reference intake uh, facts up front uh, sort of systems, which is simply a miniature of nutrition facts, up for, uh, nutrition facts put on the front of the package. It doesn't answer the question: well, is, is this product excessive in sugar? It, it, is it high in sodium? I can, you know, consumers cannot answer that question with those systems. They either can uh, they cannot answer that question either when they're having uh, on the front of the package these endorsement logos that say just uh they're just added to products there uh to be endorsed uh and so if we ask that system you know is, is that product excessive in sugar or sodium or trans fats we cannot tell using those systems the same with um, the summary indicators the summary scores they have an overall score for the food if we ask them is this product excessive in sugar that that system will not send us that an answer back to the consumer, so it won't feed our purpose either. When uh, now we move into the traffic light system, well, if we uh, just have a GDA colored system, will not have that answer, but if it has a text attached to it. In, in some cases where the product is uh, high in sugar, high in salt, it will bring the information high in sugar, high in salt, but also will bring the information low and medium in the other nutrients, again, trying to meet different purposes with one system. And that uh, brings us to uh, more confusion than, than a solution. And what we've seen is that when we apply a system like a traffic light that was designed not to have all the lights uh, lighting up, at a time uh, we probably bring conflicting violence because the product is, is green and is, uh, is high and is low and is medium at the same time. And that brings uh, a conflict that can raise the level of abstraction of consumers, which is being demonstrated by consumer and marketing research. Red-green blindness is also the most common form of color blindness, which will leave part of the population uh, you know with without access to to that information and also if we think of the many possibilities that could be generated when we're using traffic uh, like colors if we had just four nutrients with three different levels that could be um uh, that could be high low and, and median we'll end up with 81 possibilities of labels to be found in the front of the package So uh, consumers would need to be dealing with products that would be red, green, yellow, red, 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 yellow, green, 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 yellow, 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 green, red, yellow. That means uh, it creates um, much more difficult for us to make and for consumers to make comparisons that are useful for them. And also there's been studies demonstrating that as uh, as we know from the psychological studies on colors colors when associated with food they have a psychological effect on us and we may not have the desired effect even if we think that red color we want to imply that there is a high uh, in that nutrient we may end up Raising the appetite, and what's that? That study shows is that when the red color is associated with um, with sweet um, with sweet processed ultra processed products, it uh, raises our appetite. And here, um, lower bar means uh, higher motivational salience, which means more uh, appetite for the product. So that that means that even if we use if we were thinking just of the red color it could trigger a different uh, behavior than the ones that we are intend uh, intend to, to achieve and that's what brought most countries that have been adopted uh, from the pack labeling mandatory to use um uh, the the front of pack warning labels and uh, that could uh, effectively help populations identify the products that are in those nutrients and are causing most of uh, the problems that we we spoke about but not only that not only find the systems that can meet the purpose but also the ones that can make it they can perform best in doing in perform best in achieving that purpose is really important and we know from since the 19, the, the science that has been accumulated since the 1970s and in the World Economic Science the Nobel Prize in 2002 that consumers do not engage in extended cognitive effort and they do not spend a great deal of time and effort when they um, um, in purchase situations, particularly when these are repeated purchase situations, which is the case of uh, food and beverage purchase. We don't uh, buy a car every day, but uh, we do. Um, uh, may uh, purchase food and beverages uh, daily or weekly or monthly. So this, this will be considered something that's quite repetitive uh, compared to other, other goods So, and products. So um, that brings us to uh, also the, the great uh, amount of evidence, which I'm not going to go into and we'll have uh, other colleagues uh, sharing uh, more details on the evidence being produced on that. Uh, showing that the frontal pack warning labels um, uh, perform best because it's also, it, it's, it brings information in a quicker, easier, more relevant, more useful way, and also it's, uh, performs best in changing decision and purchase of products um, in, in real uh, world experiences. Countries have done several pre-implementation studies to, che- to check colors, and, and I'm not going to show all of them, just... To make sure that it's important to make, uh, uh, to understand that when we got to, to this level, based on a lot of science that's been produced prior to, to the implementation of the studies. And just gonna show really quick the results of some of the studies that we've done um, in countries uh, in the region. Um, more than 3,000 people have been uh, interviewed face to face, showing products that uh, or mock-up products. Uh, and testing different systems uh, that we can see here, even systems that would not fit the purpose, but were being put at the table as, as alternatives, were tested just to make sure uh, we we had a clear uh, answer answer to those. And all the, the studies in all these countries have demonstrated that the front of pack warning labels perform best than the GDA system in Costa Rica, El Salvador, Jamaica, uh, and Panama. What, what you can want to see here is. Numbers above, uh, if if the numbers are above the red line here, number one, it means that the the octagonal warning label system performed uh, better than the 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 compared system here, which is in this case is the GDA. The same happened with the traffic light. You see, for all countries, octagonal warning labels perform best. Uh, uh better than uh, any of uh, in any of these countries so it performed uh um better than uh, traffic light and also uh for these two countries we also tested the mutual score in costa rica and jamaica um, uh, single icon high in, high in system and, we, and again the warning labels in costa rica performed more than two times better than the mutual score and uh, 80 percent eight, uh, better than the single icon uh, single high-end icon uh, in, in Jamaica and, and it's important and we've also published the results already from Jamaica demonstrating that this effect this uh, superior performance of octagonal warning labels not only um, demonstrated uh, in, in, in a crude, in crude analysis but also when you adjust for age gender education report on comical diseases related risk factors which means these systems work uh, regardless of the age the gender and education also helping to uh, fix those inequities that we may find in terms of the access uh, to information um, uh, and that we know that uh, we cannot uh, resolve with with, uh, other sources of information that brings uh, 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 that uh, appear in the label of the products and also post-implementation studies have confirmed how these um, uh, warning label systems have been uh, performing in real-life situations where consumers in Chile on the left, more than 90% of the first months of implementation of policy were already changing their poly- their their behavior uh, in terms of the purchase, reducing purchase of products uh, that have um, uh, the warnings, or in Peru, reducing sales of carbonated drinks or cookies in the first six months. or in in Uruguay, where in the first 10 days of implementation, more than half of the population already changed their purchase decision to a better purchase uh, decision, not to buy the products with with those uh, warnings, etc. Also, from real country experience, real world implementation uh, studies showing that warning labels uh, do reduce the purchase of the products where they are featured. And that means when we have warning on calories the purchase of calories were reduced the purchase of sugars were uh, calories from sugars were reduced the purchase of calories from saturated fats uh, were reduced and the sodium uh, purchase was also reduced and and that also not only uh, give us important lessons that we learn from the evidence but also from the experience of countries and what they learn. And, and that could be improved or uh, that work was going well. Uh, so we could also build up on, on the, the development of, of best practice to, um, to e- evolve what they were um, implementing to always provide the population with the best option. And the first important lessons we, we, we've learned is that the warning labels, when they apply to the products, they do reduce the purchase of these products but the products that don't have warnings increase the purchase so as important as deciding which products have uh, are going to to have the 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 front of pack warning labels it's really important to decide which products will not have those because they will increase the purchase if we don't decide and have a a good criteria to decide which products uh, have um, the warnings and those that don't have we may shift the consumption of products that don't have um uh, warnings up and these may um this will probably depending on the threshold you're using it could uh damage continue to damage the the health the the diet of the population and and ultimately their health so it's really important to um adopt uh thresholds that can help the population once that measure um is 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 effectively implemented and is is working that the changes in purchase uh they um they ended up changing their actually their diet and what we've learned looking in and analyzing the diet of more than 125 000 people in nine countries in the region including including the us is that when people consume products they're excessive in core uh, in these critical nutrients, according to the PAHO Nutrient Profile Model, they increase their chances of not of exceeding the World Health Organization intake goals for uh, total fats and sodium in two times, for trans fat in 4.5 times, in saturated fat in three times, and 3.5 times higher in in sugars. So if we use the Nutrient Profile Model to define which products are high in, that will mean that the products that don't have high in uh, labels, if they increase, we're not gonna harm the diet. We get the population actually to go closer to WHO intake goals, and not the the way uh, the other way around. If we leave products that are excessive in according to the nutrient profile model without the warnings, we we're probably gonna um, keep increasing their diet. Um, um, in terms of sugar, saturated fats uh, uh, above the thresholds and, and the intake goals of, of WHO. And this uh, is meant to be because the power nutrient profile model was designed based on WHO intake goals. So when we Uh, apply those uh, thresholds to products because we're looking into proportions and proportions will always can only sum them. You're not going to subtract them. Then every time you you consume a product that is higher than those thresholds, you're going to go, you're going to push your diet over WHO intake goals. And that's why it is important to define those uh, thresholds according to a um, uh, nutrient profile model that is linked to uh, public health recommendations and not market uh, um, um, defined thresholds. We also documented some other best practices and uh, elements for best practices in these publications in the Lancet and I'll show just a few of them that relates to the design and the placement of the front of pack labeling just all elements of evolution of the policies that may uh, make improvements for the populations in the region. So first, we have a product here on the left that is uh, marketed as is in in the US. In the center, we have a a progress there where we bring a warning in front of the package and say clearly to the the population and, and translating here it says high in sugars. And but still, when we had that in Chile, we saw that still it could be improved in terms of size, it could be improved in terms of position and uh, countries kept evolving their policies to reach what we have today as, as a best practice, which is the case I'm sharing here on the right hand side it's Argentina, where we have uh, better placement, better size. Uh, And as we know, there's a dose response between the size and the response of the consumer. Uh, So we, and also we need to uh, have a better uh, competition with the other elements going on, on the package. So that all helps and and builds on the experience and uh, and the evidence that was developed um, uh, throughout, throughout those years. So based on that, we, we keep learning that how, how we should frame our policies to make sure that the placement for instance know that the placement of these from the pack labels are are uh, indicated as and required to be in the upper margin of the main panel ex- exhibition at the central portion of of the upper margin for instance and also countries evolve in um, trying to make the information more relevant than other elements persuasive elements that bring a population to make decisions, uh, to buy products they are excessive in sugars, fats, sodium, etc. So um, they've uh, also because we have clear evidence that these other elements bring and uh, promote the, the purchase and consumption of those products, we besides of uh, defining what needs to be required to be added to the products, it's also important to identify what needs to be removed from the product so that consumers can have a more critical decision, um in 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 when when they are at uh that um that purchase uh purchase situation so we've moved and we evolved from these miniatures of nutrition facts uh all the way uh to uh, passing through traffic light in some of the countries like Ecuador uh first country to have the warnings were Chile they still didn't have the uh, nutrient profile model of PAHO to link those uh, thresholds with uh, public health recommendations were so all based on the march of Chile. Now uh, as, as we evolved, we have um, better uh, graphic uh, definitions for the warnings uh, in countries that came up later like Mexico and Argentina that learned from uh, the experiences of implementation in many countries and the evidence. And they evolved also in adopting the PAHO, uh, WHO nutrient profile model. Uh, having also warnings or professional uh, labels for additives such as uh, non-sugar sweetness and uh, remove uh, some of the persuasive elements such as claims or uh, other um, uh, carbon characters or other persuasive elements that could um, stimulate the purchase of products that are actually need to be reduced so we can uh, meet our purpose to help the population uh, reduce the consumption of products excessive in sugars, fats saturated fats trans fats and, and, and sodium. So with that I'll, I'll close here and thank you very much sorry for uh, maybe a little longer than, than I expected and uh, I hope you to, uh, to keep in contact and, and any any questions, answers information uh, and more evidence you need this our website and uh, also always feel free to, to reach out uh, if you need any, any help, any, any further support to, to advance the policies to uh, protect um, healthy diets and, and public health. Thank, thank you very much.
0: you to dr gomez and now we'll hear from uh, dr Ares.
2: thank you very much for for the introduction and for the opportunity to share uh, this interesting session so i'm sorry i could not attend uh, but i hope you don't get uh, bored with the online presentation so the idea of of this uh, presentation is to discuss some of the concepts that Fabio addressed, but now from a consumer or citizen's perspective. So we know that food labeling is key for consumers as it is a source of information, and it contributes to overcome the information asymmetry that exists between food producers and consumers, providing us the information we need to know what we are actually eating. So a large body of research shows that labeling, in fact, influences consumers' expectations about products, their perceived healthfulness, and also their purchase decisions. So as Eva discussed at the beginning, the idea of including uh, simplified information about the nutritional composition of products is basically to facilitate uh, the understanding of the nutrient nutritional composition of the products and basically to provide an an easy tool for consumers to judge how healthy products are and the idea is that by including this type of information we can encourage them to make healthier food choices. So the idea is to briefly discuss what we know about the effect of front of pack nutrition labeling on citizens' behavior, based on experimental studies and uh, post implementation studies. Also, so we know that all types of front of pack nutrition labeling schemes basically increase consumers' attention to nutrition information. So. They make this information more relevant for the decision-making process, and this is because back-of-pack nutrition information basically requires what we what we um, define or we call top-down attention, meaning that consumers need to be motivated to actively search for this information. For example, turning around packages and looking for the information that it's many times in not very accessible places of the labels however when we include any type of front of pack nutrition labeling we are uh, now uh, having what we call bottom-up attention meaning that the schemes of the front of pack uh, labels can automatically catch consumers' attention and encourage them to include this information as part of their decision-making process even if they were not looking specifically for this for this information when they were doing their food purchases for example. So the evidence shows that all the schemes actually increase consumers' attention to nutrition information and what we uh, know is that the design features of the labels largely influence the attentional capture and in this sense What we know is that the size of the labels, the color, and the salience from the background are key features that determine how easily or difficult consumers will uh, find to actually see this information on the labels and actually influence what we call this bottom-up attentional capture. So in the figure, you can see the uh, warning labels that have been implemented in Uruguay, and you can see that the color, uh, the shape, Also, the background uh, all were determined based on this idea of maximizing attentional capture. After we capture consumers' attention and consumers are really aware that this information is included on the labels, we expect that uh, front-of-pack would increase or facilitate the understanding of the information. And for this purpose, we know that interpretive aids are key. So we need that these. Aids are required for increased consumers' ability to understand nutrition information. We know that there are several different schemes that all include this type of interpretive aids based on colours, phrases, Uh, in some cases uh, they include both colours and phrases. And we know that these interpretive aids basically facilitate different types of inferences based on nutritional information, as Fabio discussed. So we have some schemes that basically facilitate the identification of products that are high in specific nutrients, and we have other schemes that basically provide consumers with an overall summary of how healthier and healthy or unhealthy products are so these schemes follow different objectives and of course will facilitate different types of decisions uh, for uh, consumers and then the other thing that we need to be uh, aware of is that these interpretive aids have potential for misinterpretations. And there are some studies showing that health logos, for example, can uh, create a health halo, uh, encouraging consumers to think that products are actually healthier than they really are. And another potential misinterpretation has been reported for, for example, the traffic light system. And in this case, for example, if we think about uh, a sweetened beverage, that is high in um, sugar, we can think that we can identify, clearly uh, highlight that this product is alto in in Spanish or high in sugar, and in one of the studies that we have conducted as part of the design of the Uruguayan policy, we evaluated how helpful uh, consumers thought that this product would be, so highlighted with this type of label. So in this case, you can see that they perceived this product as a 3.3 in a scale that was uh, from one to nine. So it was an unhealthy product. However, when we included information about uh, nutrients that were in a low content, so we included green colors, the perceived healthfulness increased. So we ended up with a product in, in the last case that was perceived as in the middle of the scale, so more healthy, not unhealthy. So this is basically a potential misinterpretation created by the inclusion of green colors together with identification of products that are high in a specific uh, nutrient and the other thing that we need to be careful about is that the graphic design of the schemes influences understanding so fabio presented some results from a study conducted in jamaica and from that study it was shown that, for example, changing the type of warning label from an octagonal warning to a magnifying glass as it has been implemented, for example, uh, in Brazil and is going to be implemented in Canada, changed uh, consumer's ability to identify the least uh, harmful option within a series of products. So you can see the performance of the octagonal sign and this magnifying glass and how it differed. and this, again, points towards the influence of the graphic design of the scheme on consumers' ability to understand the information provided and to use it to make different types of inferences and decisions. After consumers understand, we expect that uh, they include this information as as part of their decision-making process, and they can do do this by two different pathways one pathway is what we call a rational pathway that uh, in which consumers will actively search for products that are for example uh, not high in a specific nutrient or that are uh, healthy uh, according to um, for example NutriScore. score and here you can see a video that was uh, recorded after the implementation of the warning signs in Uruguay, and you can see that this person was uh, purchasing cream cheese and you will see now that this person goes up to the product this was a study conducted in the supermarket with uh, eye tracking glasses and you can see that this person is turning around one of the products that was the light version so the, ber- the version that was not high in but um, so this person actively compared the two products turn around uh, the package to check that it didn't have any warning sign and then uh, chose that one, so this means an active search for products that are not high in, uh, in this case fat, and of course a rational approach to uh, these warning labels. Then we can have what we call a more intuitive or more emotional approach to uh, front-of-pack nutrition labeling, in this case if we think again about the warning labels, you can think that the inclusion of this information creates what we call a salience bias towards the information provided, in this case, by the woman's, but this applies to other uh, type of schemes. So in this case, you can see that these were the words that were uh, spontaneously mentioned when consumers were shown this uh, label of uh, soup And in this case, you can see that the most salient words, that are the ones that are larger, basically correspond to the description of the product, the associations with the specific uh, brands. And when we included this warning label, these associations changed and consumers uh, have more salient in the mind the excessive amount of sodium in this product and the potential negative health consequences. So this bias towards this information has the potential to modify consumers' decisions based on these automatic associations raised by the labels that are included on the front of the package. So after uh, these two different pathways, we expect consumers to modify the purchase decisions and, of course, the food consumption. So as Fabio discussed, what we know is that the experimental evidence shows that warning labels and neutral score tend to be the most effective in changing consumers' purchase decisions compared to other types of schemes. We also know that uh, self-reported use, for example, of warning labels that are uh, a mandatory scheme in Uruguay and Chile after implementation range between 40 and 58 percent meaning the percentage of participants or consumers that say that they take into account this information for making this their food purchase decisions and in the specific case of chile we know that there have been changes in the nutritional composition of food purchases after the implementation of the policy so to summarize we know that front of pack nutrition labeling is needed to enable Uh, informed choices. We know that experimental and post-implementation studies show the potential of this policy to encourage citizens to make healthier food choices. We also know that schemes should be selected based on solid evidence, considering the objective of the policy from a public health perspective, and However, we need to take into account that this policy should be part of a comprehensive package of policies aimed at triggering major transformations in the food system. And in this sense, part of the research that we have been conducted in Uruguay shows the importance of addressing other components of the food system when considering, for example, why people don't take into account the warning labels for making the food purchase decisions. So, in our studies, for example, food availability, meaning the percentage of products without warnings that are available in the marketplace, food pricing, food marketing, largely influences consumers' ability to change their decisions after the implementation of the policy. And also, from uh, an education perspective, there are also a lot of factors related to the perceived. So, the perceived susceptibility and the severity of the potential negative health consequences of consuming products that are, in this case, high in sugar, fat, and sodium, also act as a barrier for uh, changing food purchases after the implementation of this front of package nutrition labeling policy, meaning the importance of implementing different types of policies that address both individual factors and characteristics of the external food environments and the food supply chains. So thank you very much for uh, this opportunity and we will uh, address in, be addressing questions in the uh, next part of the session. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation to join this morning, and it's nice to be in person. And with this hybrid system now, I guess this is this is how we live, with recordings and m- people being remote, And but it's great to be actually in person. So uh, as Eva mentioned, I'm Robin McKinnon. I'm a senior advisor for nutrition policy at FDA Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition. And I'm going to be talking about our recent announcement about um, conducting consumer research on front of package labeling. So in the U.S. Not moving here. I There's a down
0: arrow on the
3: yes, this was supposed to be. We'll just go with that. There we go. I'm a little more used to Zoom now, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. (laughs) So uh, as many people here are extremely familiar, and despite the best efforts of a lot of the folks in the room, I know you're all aware that, um, that in the US uh, most Americans' diets are out of alignment with federal dietary recommendations, where you see fr- on the left-hand side, the, the food groups to get enough of, and the nutrients on the right-hand side, that to, not to exceed, we're way low typically in fruits and vegetables and dairy and whole grains, not eating sufficient uh, amounts of those, and far exceed in terms of um, added sugars, and saturated fat, and also sodium as well. Almost 90% of the US population exceeds the recommended limits for sodium. And so, in 2022, September of 22, how many people were there at the White House National Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health? Uh, Probably a few folks, or maybe watching online. Uh, Just as Gaston was mentioning, in terms of bringing together all a whole of government approach to addressing both hunger and improving healthy dietary patterns improving physical activity was a historic conference the White House conference on hunger nutrition and health with this goal of ending hunger improving healthy eating and improving physical activity to reduce the uh, rates of diet related chronic disease um, all while Uh, advancing health equity as well, and that's by 2022. And bringing together, as I mentioned, more than 20 uh, departments, agencies, regional authorities in this effort, because as Gaston mentioned, it takes a whole approach, uh, whole of government, also whole of society. And so uh, probably many people are familiar also, both the conference itself, and uh, and the national strategy that was released at the White House national at the at the conference itself, there were five pillars that the the national strategy is broken into, and the conference kind of followed. Um, the first was improving food accessibility, uh, food access, and also affordability, which which re- relates most directly to hunger, reducing and eliminating hunger by uh, 2030. Also integrating nutrition and health, and that's their focus there is on better integrating nutrition into the healthcare system. So uh, included in there are things like uh, food as medicine initiatives and, and much more. And then the third, empowering all consumers, one could say food citizens, uh, to make and have access to healthy choices. And that's where we'll be diving into and the, the FDA initiatives really focus there. Um, but also wanna mention I- improving physical activity for all So, improving physical activity and also enhancing the nutrition and food security research. So focusing in now on uh, the the third pillar and especially the the FDA's initiatives within the National Strategy, which if anybody uh, is checking, are on pages 22 and 23 of the National Strategy. Um, but, uh, the tools that FDA has with nutrition and, and food labeling, um, I won't go through the, all of these in detail, but I do want to underscore that FDA has the responsibility, has the authority for um, food safety and labeling of about 80 percent of the U.S. food supply. And, um, and the tools that FDA has within this larger context uh, is both encourage industry Directly to um, towards uh, offering healthier options that we know consumers are looking for. We hear that um, from many citizens directly and consumers, but also providing consumers with the information that they need to make healthier dietary choices. So, and we know that these act these act in concert. But what you see here. Um, the work that we've, we've been undertaking at the FDA over, I'd, I've been there almost a decade now and we've been hard at work on many of these things and this is a, a continuation of those, but continuing to facilitate lowering sodium in the food supply itself, um, proposing uh, and these are the elements that are within the national strategy. So we committed to updating uh, reg- or proposing to update regulations uh, for the, to allow the use of salt substitutes in standardized foods, um, because right now, certain standardized foods are precluded uh, by regulation from uh, from using salt substitutes. Um, Collaborating with other agencies on ways to lower sodium as well. And we've done a lot of work with our colleagues at the US Department of Agriculture, um, with school meals folks, with WIC and SNAP, and and many others. Um, The Administration for Community Living, um, who work with uh, senior nutrition programs, and of course colleagues at CDC, the NIH, and also the VA, uh, Veterans Affairs, who are working to implement lower sodium options within their within their um, purviews as well. And we've committed to holding a public meeting in collaboration with federal partners on additional actions that can be taken to reduce added sugars um, in the to reduce added sugars intake in the U.S. And so uh, onto empowering consumers or also, I'm always going to think now, food citizens. <laughs> um, so uh, where I'll come back to front-of-package labeling because that's what, what we're going to spend most of the time on, um, but a cou- uh, some of the examples of empowering consumers with information many people are extremely familiar with, I'm sure like the Nutrition Facts Label. The updated Nutrition Facts Label in 2016 that was finalized uh, went into effect, the compliance requirements um, as of 2020 and, and 2021 for most manufacturers and that with the addition with a very important addition of requiring a declaration of added sugars among many many other things um with so that uh, included um updates based on the most recent scientific information and also menu labeling so the requirements for uh, chain restaurants and other similar retail food establishments to post calories and then there are other requirements as well to have um, other information available on request um, but uh, and then the new additions that, that are in the national strategy in are included here. So uh, we have already proposed to update the def- – there's a regulatory definition. Some folks are not aware that that – the use of the term healthy on a food package is a regulated term. The current definition that's still in effect uh, is quite out of date and is very nutrient-based and could benefit from a refresh. And so we propose to do this this update and uh, much more food group approach, um, very uh, aligned with the Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommendations, we're developing a symbol that would indicate healthy as well, qu- uh, meeting the criteria both for um, meaningful amounts of food groups, but also c- taking into consideration the nutrients to limit as well. So uh, the in right now it's a text-based symbol or t- text-based claim, but we're investigating also a, a, the use of a symbol to indicate healthy. That would be, and those are voluntary um, terms, uh, and uh, would be a voluntary symbol as well. We've developed and issued draft guidance on the use of dietary guidance statements, and so those, that's something like make half your grains whole grains or something. <coughs> but use on on a food package. Don't want that, you know to be accompanied with something that you so that's the uh, initial thinking about under what terms um, dietary guidance statements might be used uh, on food labels Um, and uh, we have developed an rfi a request for information on nutrition information that should be available when shopping for groceries online Um, a lot of people are shopping now, especially with the pandemic. The increase on online grocery shopping has increased enormously. And um, often you can find the nutrition information, but it's often not as um, maybe, it can be hard to find. It it may be different formats, whether it's website, whether it's mobile, um, but wanting to get more information, it's more potentially standardized information, particularly about nutrition, um, but also allergen information and ingredient information, and then finally developing targeted, um, oops, uh, resources for for education. Let me go back here, um, just one second. So um, back just initially to um, to front of package labeling. Um, a lot of people, wi- as I mentioned. We're planning co- to conduct uh, consumer research to help further explore uh, the development of front-of-package labeling systems. And in the national strategy, we have a, that we are we commit to developing a front-of-package labeling system to quickly and easily communicate nutrition information. Um, and HHS, FDA will uh, conduct research, propose developing a standardized front-of-package labeling system for food packages f- to help consumers quickly and easily identify foods that are part of a healthy eating pattern. And as the the previous speakers have both uh, outlined, we've seen the rise of front of package labeling increase just dramatically around the world in recent years. And we can see that the experiences of other countries um, indicate that th- there are benefits to consumers to increasing nutrition knowledge and helping helping those that may have uh, lower nutrition literacy, but also folks who are busy. And you know, talked about the, the different si- types of systems, top-down, bottom-up types of systems that are used when making different decisions. Um, and so, front-of-package labeling is it's intended to complement the nutrition facts label that information uh, and provide additional context for consumers to be able to make healthier uh, dietary choices. And a lot of people ask, well, why why now? And I I will say, of course, uh, no doubt almost everybody in the room is aware, we have an epidemic of diet-related chronic disease in the U.S. right now. And it affects everybody, um, increasing the risk of death and disability Um, in reducing life expectancy, increasing healthcare costs, um, and reducing workforce productivity, and even military readiness with this enormous burden. So it affects all of us, and we need to be looking at all avenues as we bring all all of the tools and levers together to try to provide consumers with the information to make healthier dietary choices. And so with that background, on June 15th, FDA published a 30-day notice with information about our plans to conduct reser- research to further study front-of-package nutrition labeling on packaged foods. And as Eva was alluding to before, we'd started doing some focus group testing in the summer of last year, and issue also issued a 60-day notice in January of this year and we'd also conducted Quite an extensive literature review. But this study that we're proposing to do, um, so this is a, a follow-on to that 60-day notice that was issued in January, and kind of incorporate is informed by the focus groups that were conducted um, to and to, to explore consumer responses to different types of schemes. And people may or may not be aware of the Paperwork Reduction Act requirements. So these the 60-day and 30-day notices, these are part of the processes that, that we undertake um, to, and as part of that, federal agencies are required to publish this, the, the opportunity for the public to comment on the study, on, on the proposed information collection in the federal register. So these are required notices, the 60-day, the 30-day notice. And what we've learned is that uh, certainly from all of the, from the reading of the literature, from the focus groups, from... Um, the feedback that we received that front of package labeling can help consumers to identify healthier choices and that simpler schemes are often better for consumers. Um, We've also seen that institutional endorsement can be very important. So because a lot of consumers, and you probably are uh, working directly with folks, can be skeptical, where is this information coming from? There are many claims on packages, but if there's an institutional endorsement, if people know it's from um, a certain organization, that can be very helpful for them. Um, and so th- the notice that we published in, uh, it back in, in June, uh, that provides additional information about the study and what we're planning to account, taking into account all of the public comments that we received, et cetera. All righty. So the selected draft schemes that we're planning to, uh, to be assessing in this experimental study, and remember again, these uh, these are plans, the 60-day, the 30-day notice are our plans to actually conduct the study. Um, So, and I don't have all of the different schemes here. These are a selection, but just in terms of giving folks kind of a gestalt of what we're planning to test. There is a link. I'm sure we'll be able to send it to everybody as well afterwards. But what you're seeing here, um, that the the selection again was uh, informed by the public health goals, the literature review, the front of package schemes that have been used internationally and also discussions with FDA experts and, um, and other um, outside uh, feedback that, w- that we've received. And b- but what we know is that a standardized f- science-based scheme um, could help consumers, particularly those um, with lower nutrition n- literacy and those that are simply busy uh, to build healthier diets. So these are the selections. You'll see here kind of going uh, from upper left um to to the right you'll see the guideline daily amount scheme type of scheme there's the nutrition info with um, information you see and here you start to see the interpretive elements here with different kinds of interpretive elements saturated fat sodium added sugars and you see here um the interpretation of high uh, a variation of color potentially with, um, with a magnifying glass, for instance, the addition there, and uh, similar to what Health Canada has just recently introduced. And then in the bottom left, uh, more information, we're using this uh, nutrition info scheme with a percent daily value, again with a variation of colors. And then finally, our interpretation of the high-end scheme, some with the percent daily value and, and some with not. And one thing I I was noticing that I think it was Gaston mentioning the trans fats and uh, in some other countries that's included. Just to point out, here in the U.S., US, because of the work of the FDA and the the entire research community, in 2006, trans fat was added to the Nutrition Facts label as a a result of that. So it was required based on the science. As a result of that, uh, intake of trans fat reduced about 80%. FDA has since taken additional action um, using other authorities, and now trans fats have been essentially removed from the food supply. So that's why we won't be needing any kind of mention of trans fats. So those um, those are the schemes. And, and where we are, and um, again, the, the, those were a selection of the types of schemes. And a lot of people want to know, well, what are the next steps, and particularly, what is the timeline? And uh, th- we're not in a position to be able to to know at this point because we're uh, the the comment period for the um, for the 30-day notice just closed. So we'll now. Uh, be reviewing those comments and and it will and then hopefully we'll receive permission from uh, the OMB to conduct the study. So that's the next stage in the process to conduct the experimental study, um, and we can also share a link to more information. We have a front of package labeling webpage with all of the all of the links to the information about the schemes, more information about the study, but we would be conducting that then evaluating the results of the study, and then assess any next steps which could include uh, formal rulemaking. And then that process also involves um, many opportunities for uh, public comment and feedback. And I think with that, I will end there. Thank you so much.
4: Or not. Do you want me to? Okay, launch it. Okay. I promise you, we do understand technology. I promise. Yes? All righty. Hello, SNEB, my people nutrition education and behavior wonderful i love it i am leslie speller henderson as eva shared with you and i work for the university of missouri in columbia and <clears throat> i need you all to give a big shout out to mizzou right now yes we're number one a- among the land-grant universities and don't you forget it okay <laughs> so uh, <laughs> i am an associate extension professor in the department of human science i'm sorry we changed our name recently. Department of Health Sciences Extension Human. Mm-mm. 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 <laughs> Wait a minute. So this is what mommy said do. Okay, okay. Whew, okay, 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 okay. I am Leslie, okay? Yes. Woo! <laughs> you know, I asked to go last because I believe our work is so important with consumers that I needed to tie up some of the threads. And here I am falling apart. Okay, okay. So I do work. In Extension, Health and Human Sciences. And Extension's work is to take the knowledge acquisition and share the knowledge out to the community. And that is what we're going to do. So I often ask people that 25% of the population has college degrees, who are we talking to? How are we going to take this information and share it out with the community who has to do the work of making The theories make sense and then become a good part of the statistic, right? And so here we are. Let's see where I'm going with this. (laughs) So first, because I went last, I must say thank you to my esteemed panel, right? And it's an honor to present with you. And I'm gonna talk like you also, but no, no, I'm sorry. I have have to have a little humor. I wanna say that our work is very serious, but I love to have fun because people are big children and we love to laugh and if we make our work too serious, it gets lost. Did y'all know that adults will vote with their feet and will wonder why people don't show up? Because we've done something to offend somebody and don't even realize it. So how are we connecting with people's heart before we get into their heads? Okay, that's extension, that is what we do. So, we have learned about research and policy efforts to adopt and implement front of package labeling in the U.S. and abroad. And it's very exciting to think that standing in front of a shelf now, information will be right there for us to see, right? Very exciting, very exciting. And then there's other psychological and marketing effects happening to us while we stand there. So that's very, very interesting. And so I'd say that we're going to talk about how consumer nutrition educators and advocates can support the effort of front of package labeling in our communities here in the United States. So I have to start with, I am here representing, and I said I'd be on my best behavior, the (laughs) Association of SNAP Nutrition Education Administrators. And we are an organization dedicated to improving the nutritional status of SNAP recipients and those eligible for SNAP-Ed. By utilizing comprehensive and integrated approaches to nutrition education and obesity prevention, food security, food resource management, and physical activity, we work together to promote state, regional, and national communication with program program issues and successes, because we are successful, right? In addition, what we need to know about ASNA as we affectionately call it, so you've probably heard us called ASNA, yes? yes? There we go, there we go, it's call and response. I got some more stuff for you in a minute too, so okay. We are a national resource, right, um, for the nutrition education, obesity prevention, network expertise, partnership development, and policy advocacy with our policy systems and environmental work. Would you agree that we do a lot of stuff? Yes, yes, yes. yes. And we do it quietly, right? It happens, right? So we we strive with ASNA to advance successful practices that lead to incorporating the dietary guidelines for Americans, specifically among SNAP-eligible individuals and communities. That is where our work begins and does not end there. So food labels are valuable tools for better food choice information. Front-of-package nutrition labels aim to give consumers quick, healthy, choice food information. So how are you picking your foods, right? What's going on? And in addition, we have to make it simple and easy to understand, and that is really um, where my colleagues before me kind of went to. What has the research shown? What are the studies getting at and what are they doing? Now we have to think about how do we help it make sense to consumers in a language that is understood by our population that we're working with. And I wanna say, SNAP eligible is an approach that ASNA has, right? But I assure you that we reach everyone. Because if you know anything about word of mouth, what's the top ranking movie right now? How'd y'all know that? <laughs> somebody tell you, somebody take you, you, you know, the uh, we're paying attention, right? And so, so we really really can share a lot of information, a lot of information. So. Let's kind of talk about how consumer nutrition education and advocates can support these efforts in the community of getting this front of package information out. So our nutrition educators, our citizens workers as we're out in the community, we are working in a lot of settings and in a lot of places. Traditionally, we go to schools and educational spots where we are empowering young people early on to help make decisions about their healthy food habits, what can they do? Because of course the young will teach us, right? And so how are we teaching them? And then also community centers and public places and spaces. We do outreach at these spots. We go to events, we're giving information out and helping with accessibility, helping it make sense. And sometimes we also provide demonstrations because no one knows what healthy tastes like until they taste it or what it looks like because we heard that stuff is N-A-S-T-Y, right? (laughs) which doesn't really describe food. It describes a lot of things and I always argue that that's a baby's diaper or something else is N-A-S-T-Y, not food, (laughs) not food. So how are we doing that? And then of course we work in healthcare facilities and we're trying to help individuals and families get information to help make healthy food choices and impact some of the issues that they are exhibiting when they come to healthcare facilities. How can we help them and take the education further that we're providing? Then there's a corporate setting or the workplace settings. How can we as nutrition educators help workplace settings make changes in their environment so that the people who work there can have a more, become more, they can become more energized and better prepared to work and maybe change some other issues that are going on later. So there's a lot of work that we're doing. And then of course, and I love my young professionals who we are trying to guide so we can retire to take our place. Y'all got about <coughs> a few years <laughs> to get it together, but <laughs> the online platform, right? And there we're trying to leverage technology to make information relevant so that people can get information and learn how to use it. And that's a space for us to be in as we're working in that and not ignore it because I know a few of us have seen, okay, Leslie will talk about Leslie's junk. I've seen a few YouTubes I wonder, do they really know food safety? And I wish somebody would throw their dish towel over their shoulder. The biggest one right now is washing the chicken in the sink, right? I did a church talk and tried to talk to, to a group of senior citizens about not washing the chicken in the sink. They said they would never eat at my house if I didn't wash my chicken before I cook it. <laughs> so yes, yes, it's the little things. It's how you present it, right? I didn't present that well that day, so yeah, having to fix it. And then also, um, working with our government agencies, right? And working on public policy, so working with FDA to have conversations and to push the policy conversations further. It's like, um, so we talk to consumers, and then we have to talk to government agencies, and those are two different hats, but we have them, and we can do them, and we should do them, and we should be part of the conversation. And then there's the food deserts, or the often ignored communities. Don't call them, my, my, they're not minority, they're not marginalized, not low income, not a whole bunch of negative things we like to say about these communities because no one leads with their negatives. We lead with our strengths. So they're often ignored and we should be thinking about how we're there in these spaces to provide information because sometimes food access and nutritious food is not there, hence the food desert. And it's not just an urban issue, it's a national issue. the grocery stores aren't there. And so how are we now going to help these communities understand the front of package labeling? and when they see it. So what if you're in a space, and I'm gonna say this word, and I, and, well, uh, no, corner store. I was gonna use the New York thing, the bodega, the corner store. Um, what happens? Are they getting in front of package labeling? Or are they buying stuff that was somewhere else It's now they're changing the packaging so now we're gonna buy it because we can buy it at a lesser cost and put it on our shelves and nobody will know. Are we in these spaces to help people understand what they need to see and what they need to do, and I contend that we are. So, looking at that and looking at our work, we, um, of course, work in different settings, and sometimes it's hard to explain what we do, and at a state conference of nutrition educators working in the community, were asked to describe their work in three words or less. So, they were allowed to give repeated responses, so this was a, session of about 23 participants and they had about 80 responses. What do you notice they say about their work? Yeah, how much of it says nutrition education? Yeah, yeah. Working with people takes a lot of skills that we need to give our credit for, give ourselves credit for doing. Another one, this is a group and they were asked the question, what do you do? So I don't know if you've ever had someone say, what do you do again? (laughs) I've been doing this work a long time and so I've raised three young people while I do it and I have scarred them. There's a few food safety issues and germaphobe things going on and cooking food, but they still ask me. They say every time, mommy, you say what you do, we lean in to hear you because we don't know what you do. My doctor said, can I call you a food nutritionist to people? I said, I don't know if that's really a thing, but if that helps you, <laughs> okay. So it's, so it's interesting, so what do we do? And you see, once again, how do you explain it? And how do you consider it? As we motivate and support and control and uh, make jokes and have fun, as you see the, the, what is standing out for everyone. So consumers, nutrition educators, are built for this job. We're the right people for this work. We really understand our work, and we have researched and acquired knowledge about it, and now we get to share it and take it places. We need to reach the community with information as we are transforming food labels. But something that I want you all to think about with food for thought, that without community, our work is simply a commodity. And what am I saying here? Our work happens in the community not for or on their behalf. We work to bring many voices to the table so we can work. There have been actions that have happened to us in our work that sometimes can make us feel like we are a commodity. So if you have ever been told that I sent an email out to someone and it was just ignored, you may have sent it out to one of your agencies, your organizations, um, and a partner and they just ignored you. That's a commodity. Were you told to call someone else? They have now exchanged you with someone else. Or if you were told that I told Leslie about you and she's interested, so are you being passed on? Are you being traded? Also, maybe you've heard we don't need your programming, we don't need your information right now, we're not ready for it, so are we being ignored? We are not a commodity, we are a community. And we can get our work done because we involve the people and we talk to them and make ourselves very important because we give information right here, right now. If somebody's hair is on fire or stressed as they go in a grocery store and stand in front of a package of food because I need to feed my family, are we pouring gasoline on their hair to increase their stress because we said don't eat, don't eat, don't eat, avoid. Or are we pouring water on it to make it say, I know what choices I need to make and it's okay. So not making people feel bad but feeling feeling empowered is what we need to do as we're doing our work and we do do that also. So what I really want to share with us as we're thinking about this food labeling change and things that are happening, understand that it is a very valuable tool Is very helpful. But sometimes also people don't want to pull things off of the rack or the shelf and look at it, right? And sometimes, I don't know if y'all have ever gone to the grocery store hungry, (laughs) more things go in the cart, right? And once again, I'm talking about Leslie's junk, but it's uh, something that can happen. And and I know, and I read labels. (laughs) But right now I could use this, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, as we work, I want us to think and I want us to believe with our communities that we demonstrate. We build teamwork. We are creative and innovative in our community work. We can reach everyone as we do this work. We establish sustainable learning environments in the community in the many different settings and places we work, and we create belongship, not commodity work, as we do our work. So these steps will ultimately build trust and enable better teamwork to accomplish our work because nothing is fun about being told and they change it again, right? And they're doing this again. And how do we make human beings, our people, our consumers that need everything that we have to offer except what we have to offer and how we help them and lead them and guide them? So. I would like for you to share, and you don't have time for that because now it's time for questions and answers. But tell me what struck you about this conversation, or what does it take away from this conversation? And I want to thank you very much for your time. So I'm supposed to end this, right? Oh, good, he got it. You know,
0: Robin and Leslie, do you want to just pull up chairs and sit kind of as a panel for a QA and then I can start taking questions? If you have a question, maybe um, feel free to come up here so that you can ask it into the mic. Be careful,
4: I'm sensitive. No hard questions. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Any questions? And raise Don't your let hand. Grad
4: students leave, catch the grad <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Eva. I'm I said I was gonna be good ass and I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> no, and I and while you're all thinking of questions, um, first off, thank you so much to our panelists. Thank you to Leslie in particular for waking everyone up. (laughs) (laughs) I'll start with a question, but please be encouraged to to come up here and um, um, stand by if you have a question of your own. I have a question first for Robin. I wanted to ask you, Robin, from your perspective, how can nutrition educators support FDA's work to develop uh, and um, research the, the front of package label?
3: been instructed to speak into the microphone, so um, yeah, thanks for the question. And I, I firstly wanna thank the SNAB, ASNA, all the nutrition education community, for all the work over the years, um, and being involved in helping with nutrition and education generally, but also very recently with the, nutri- the update to the Nutrition Facts label. I know i is also extremely active with my plate and many other things, but with the Nutrition Facts label, I know I, I've uh, joined SNAB before. and. With other, and that was a critical element with with a major change to the update to the label. This community was has been so incredibly important, and will be continue to, to do that. Um, and so I think where we are right now, as I mentioned before, with specifically with front of package labeling, where this is relatively early. We're still conducting uh, consumer research to inform um, any particular next steps. But where educators in particular that your your feedback is so critical is in looking through the lens from consumers and providing information to the agency. So as there are opportunities for um, public comment and feedback, we've also done our own focus groups quite recently with nutrition educators on, on how to Uh, what materials are needed, what languages, you know, where are people getting the information. So maybe information on the schemes themselves as you have that information, as there are there are calls from the agency to provide that input um, because that is cr- the input from everybody. Again, going back to the White House National Strategy and the, and the conference, this whole of government, whole of society approach, this is what it's gonna take to get input from everybody and then um, to uh, be able to get that information out and communicate it to people. So I think part of that that public engagement process, both informing the agency and then helping to get the word out. So I'll pause there. Thank you. I answer, please. please. I, I think you have to go
5: there. labelling. So we have uh, percentages and moderate and high and so on. So could it be something like, you know, in simple terms, like for example, in a can of soda, there are about 12 spoons of sugar. So that is something like, you know, like a lay person could easily relate to. For example, when I teach in my class, like I ask how many students drink soda, and then I say, like, you know, this has 12 spoons of sugar, and then they react differently. So that I was wondering like, if that is something that could be part of the labeling. So and then another question. Oh. <laughs> so, so I waited to, again, labeling. In terms of um, uh, there's a lot of packaged food, processed food, and there's a lot of preservation that's going on. Can't that be also part of the labeling? For example, the amount of salt or any other preservatives that was added in a specific uh, product. So when I look at it, for example, if I see that so much preservation are being added, I would hesitate to buy something like that.
3: Okay. Maybe I'll come. So thank you so much. Thank you for the question. Um, so firstly, on the teaspoons, that was actually a question that was considered as part of the update to the Nutrition Facts label, that, and so we have um, already considered that in, in the past. And the challenge there is that some, if there, if there are added sugars, some all sugars are not created equal. Some are liquid. so. And so that, it, it's very challenging then to have, among other reasons, but that, that's one thing, that if it's liquid, if it's honey, if maple syrup or something like that, um, or, or granulated, it, then, it, then there are differences. So, um, but I think you point it, it, your point is well taken and that can be where the education, the, the addition to the labeling information can be, and the translation to consumers can be so helpful. So I, I think that's the value add for uh, for uh, for materials, for resources, for explanations. I know, for instance, um, w- we have some exercises in uh, middle and high school curricula, Science in Our Food Supply, shameless plug for our nutrition education for middle and high school teachers on how to do some of these exercises, translating the information that's available on the package um, for in, into um, in, in a way that is most relevant to to the consumers, and just to your other point about the other the, the other type of information, uh, as you'll see that the the, um, the nutrients that we highlighted those are the ones that are uh, that are key recommendations from the dietary guidelines for Americans to limit and that are overconsumed. So. Um, uh, you, uh, there is the additional information or of other ingredients that is mandated to be uh, added to the food label, and that is in the ingredients. And, and so there's other ways to have that information, but you, you can see most of the other countries do highlight just these these very key nutrients on the front because otherwise you, you wouldn't want like 20 types of things across the top. So it, it's a balance, but we'll continue to to uh, review, I know other country, and learn from other countries what's happening there as well. Thanks. Hello. Um, Dr. Ayres mentioned down in Uruguay about how, um, you know, warning labels about sugar. And I'm all for warning about sugar, but is this going to then end up with industry just now taking out sugar but adding in artificial sweeteners instead?
0: Gaston,
1: did you want
2: to speak to that one? Yes. Yes, that's a very very good question, and particularly in the context of of the WHO new recommendations regarding uh, sweeteners. So the experience of, for example, Chile uh, shows that, in fact, sugar warnings can encourage the food industry to substitute uh, sugar by sweeteners. However, the the experience of um, other Latin American countries, such as Mexico and Argentina, uh, pointed towards the use of a specific, it's not necessarily the same as a warning, but another type of front of package label, showing or clearly highlighting that products have um, souvenirs. So that type of of, uh, label is expected to avoid or to discourage the substitution of um, sugar by sweeteners and the other thing that, that should be considered regarding the substitution of sugar by uh, sweeteners is related to the nutrient profile that is used to highlight products that are high in, uh, high in sugar. For example, in Uruguay, during the, the first part of, of the process, it was very important, for example, to uh, settle um, limits for sugar that enable reformulation without the addition of of sweeteners so there are different limits according to whether the product only has sugar or if it has other sweeteners that are added as well as sugar so those are some of the strategies that have been implemented to avoid this extended reformulation and substitution of sugar by sweeteners
0: So if I may, I'm just gonna add one quick point to that, thanks Gaston. Um, So at CSPI, as an advocacy organization, we have to think really carefully about any kind of unintended effects of the policies we advocate for. We work on front of package labeling, on added sugar warning labels. We simultaneously have an entire body of work around unsafe food additives. And our take on this is really that Robin said, "Not all sugars are created equal. Not all additives or artificial sweeteners are created equal either. There are some that are more dangerous than others. Some that appear to be quite safe. Um, For instance, stevia is a naturally derived sweetener um, with uh, appearing to be very safe to consume at the types of levels that that humans would consume it." Whereas aspartame, the international agency on cancer research, just deemed a possible carcinogen. And so I think we have a duty to ensure that if there is a substitution of sugar with other sweeteners, that they be those safe sweeteners that are okay to increase in our diets. Next question. Oh, go ahead.
3: As a representative of the Food and Drug Administration, I do feel like I, I need to make the point. I mean, there are there are very stringent uh, regulations around food additives in the U.S., and and the FDA has been very closely following um, the the recent um, announcement by IARC, and um, we disagree with uh, and have been public about that. So. I, I do want to reassure people that there is um that the the ingredients in the US um and there's an additive process and we believe that those are safe. Oh, Thanks, Evelyn. Safe <laughs> under the the intended use. That that's right. the the <laughs> key, for yeah. right? Right. Thanks.
0: Okay, to make time for one more question, I will not go on a CSPI tirade about the uh grass approval process for food additives okay so one more question
3: yes uh i was just wondering is this going to be implemented on uh, energy drinks and also the fake the powder proteins and those kind of uh i mean products that they're selling for teenagers and older adults Why aren't, there, why aren't there questions for Leslie? Because she's, she's the uh, Les, Leslie's the fun one of the panel. <laughs> I might turn this question to you, Leslie. <laughs> um, and so the question was about what? What would? Um, where would these uh, front of pack? labels be required would it be supplements or something just to say we're uh, we're not there yet we're right why, where we are right now is looking at the consumer responses how are they able to uh, how how do they interpret um the information from the different schemes does it provide the additional information to provide healthier food choices so we're just focused on this, the consumer research right now will be, um, and it's going to be in hopefully in the field, and we'll, we'll hopefully get approval to do that, then review the results, and then we would be considering the next steps, which would be exactly those types of questions, when and how and on what products and things like that, but we're not there yet. Over to you, Leslie, would you like to add anything? Dr. <laughs> Eddie?
0: It is 11.15, but I do think we should let Leslie have the last word. So Leslie, anything to add? And any extra questions, I think uh, would be best to just come up and ask us afterwards, because I think we have to adjourn. But thank you so much, everyone. Thank you to the speakers.